0: Hello, hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Black Girls Heal. I hope that you are having a wonderful day, that you are shining, that you are thriving, and that you are living your best life today. And I hope that this podcast episode helps you get a little bit closer to the life that you want and that you desire. So today's episode, we are talking about the impact of childhood emotional neglect and how it leads to the behaviors of love addiction. So childhood emotional neglect is a type of childhood trauma. It is the type of trauma that I see in 100% of the people that I serve. No matter whether or not you are connected to love addiction, love avoidance, if you just have low self-esteem, anxiety, depression that is caused by the traumas that you have gone through, all The common denominator across the board is childhood emotional neglect. And it is so important to know what this is because I think what trips up a lot of people when it comes to breaking down the root causes of why they may have repeated relationship issues and struggles with low self esteem and they're doing all the right things and nothing is really adding up, nothing is really changing. Maybe they look back at their life and they think, you know, I have parents that sacrificed for me. Maybe they were immigrants and they came here. Maybe they just went through struggle. Maybe they were. Always successful, but they just worked really hard and they were physically present and gave me everything I wanted. Why do I feel this way? Why do I continue to have these types of self doubts? Why do I keep being attracted to or attracting certain types of partners? No, change that. Why do I keep being attracted to versus attracting? I really want to work on my language and amend what I've said in previous years that we are attracting certain types of people because I really want y'all to know that there is always, always, always people who are available for you to love and who want to love you around you. However, when we are used to the foolishness, when trauma and drama has been normalized, that's the stuff that's on our radar. And so when we have healthy and available people, we don't even see them. And if we do see them, we feel uncomfortable. It feels like it's a little bit too much. We're not as interested. And so just our barometer is more, and it might not be, that might not be the right word, but we are more tuned into people who live in that state of dysfunction, not because it's what we want or what we actually are looking for, but it's just what's familiar to us. And just as humans, we always search for what is familiar, even if it causes problems, even if it causes drama, the body wants what it is comfortable with. It wants a sense of homeostasis. And until we actively unlearn those patterns and until we actively heal these things and replace it with different things, what is common and what is normal for my body, what my body knows is how to deal with up and down fights. What my body knows is how to deal with roller coaster emotions. What my body knows is how to deal with people who are in and out because I've been dealing with that my whole life. Yeah, it causes stress, but it's familiar. So that's where our work comes into play. But I think it really trips up people who feel like I have no reason to feel this way when you look back at it. But childhood emotional neglect is the common denominator. So we are going to talk about that in this episode. We're going to talk about how and why it leads to love addictive behaviors. We'll come back on a later date and talk about how emotional neglect leads to love avoidant behaviors. But that's what we're going to take a deep dive in today. So let's go ahead and jump on in. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Before we get started, let's take a small break to say thank you to this week's sponsors. Attention to all my proud plant parents. It is time to give all of your plant babies the best nutrition you can, starting from the bottom up, and that starts with the best soil to help them grow happy, nourished, and strong. Coast of Maine is an organic soil brand that is approved for organic growing and has been sourced from ocean waters and farms for over 28 years. With a full range of products that support every garden and lawn, coastal main products are made to restore roots to the natural world. If your soil lacks appropriate nutrients for a success, by adding coastal main products, it will help regenerate the healthy microbes in your soil and set you up for gardening success. And if you have a vegetable garden, not only do you benefit via an abundant harvest, but find that there is less need to maintain and feed throughout your season. Maine continually perfects the art and science of sourcing, mixing, and composting products worthy of the people and place that inspired their brand and the healthier world it was built to serve. Maine believes in nurturing relationships with local retailers. The products are carried by tons of local retail partners who can provide advice and insight that is not found in the big box stores. Coast of Maine knows from beginner to expert, anyone who takes a hand to the land has something to offer the growing community for gardeners everywhere, which is why I love how they make organic gardening simple and approachable for everyone. So let's get growing. Visit coastofmaine.com to find a local retailer near you. Coast of Maine, like the state with an E, dot com. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Before we get started, let's take a small break to say thank you to this week's sponsors. Okay, so for us to get started, let's go ahead and break down these terms. We're going to break down emotional neglect, childhood emotional neglect, and we're also going to break down what is love addiction in case there are any newbies who are joining us here today. So childhood emotional neglect is a type of trauma that happens when we are younger and It is not about the things that happened. It's about the things that didn't happen. And so usually when people hear the term neglect, especially if you come from what you believe and what you've been told and what society tells us is the perfect home, the type of home where you do not have a right to feel the way that you feel, right? You had either one very dedicated parent or two very dedicated parents and, you know, aunties, uncles or whatever. Maybe you financially were secure and safe. Maybe your parents were physically available and came to games and did all this stuff with you. And so y'all had a lot of family time together, you know, and so you're like in your head and you're like, I was never neglected. I, I had all of the attention and love and support that I needed. So why do I feel empty this way? Why do I feel this ache on the inside of me? What is it that I am not getting an understanding? And so it makes you feel like you are being selfish, that you're being ungrateful, that you're betraying your parents for feeling this way or the people who raised you for feeling this way. And it creates a whole lot of confusion and self-resentment and self-blaming and then you feel even worse. So it's a very vicious cycle. But emotional neglect, childhood emotional neglect, is not about the things that happened, It's about the things that didn't happen. Every time that you emotionally needed to be seen, valued and honored as another human being, as a soul, every time you needed to be comforted and held and and loved just for being you. So sometimes, And these households that are supposedly perfect and everything is, you had everything you needed, so there's no reason for you to feel this way. Where the emotional neglect comes in at can look like maybe there was some love and affirmation, but it was only when you did the things that they wanted you to do you had to earn that approval that they showed you with their attention or their disconnection when you had disappointed them and more than just they want good for you but just kind of like disgust like would they ever look at you in disgust when you made a mistake would they stonewall and shut down when you did something that to them was unsavory? Uh, Did they ever withhold attention and time from you to teach you a lesson? Were they super critical? And so when the praise came, it was hard won and far in between and sporadic. Did you have parents who were physically present, but they were so consumed with their own work, with their own addictions, with each other, with their own affairs, with their own depression, that they may have been physically there but they weren't mentally and emotionally there so all of the care and love and support that she needed as a child they were not able to provide and so one of the things that happens as a young child when you're watching this and your parents and your family or your world is a child goes through all the reasons why they must be the problem or how to fix the problem. And so how do I make mommy happy? How do I make daddy happy? How do I, you know, make myself smaller? How do I become the perfect daughter? How do I become the perfect big sister, or little sister? How do I become the clown of the family? And you do all this stuff to try to make things better. And one as a child, you know, it, it was never your responsibility to try to fix them. But you don't know that. And you start to believe that it is your responsibility to fix people, you start to believe that this is part of your ownership to make sure everything goes well. And you start to learn that for you to go along to get along in the family, you have to minimize some of these needs. So let me go back a moment. So let's say family members are unavailable either because maybe they've gone through their own trauma, right? Maybe they were physically, sexually abused, right, or emotionally abused. And so maybe that's not happening with them towards you, but it has prohibited access within themselves of how they know how to be caring and loving. So they don't really know softness. They don't really know tenderness. I hear that from from my students all the time. You know, they've been through a lot, so I understand why they they aren't able to do that. So you trying to be understanding and you trying to be graceful and if you trying to and you trying to give compassion, what you've done is in order for you to exalt them and to empathize with them, you have demoted yourself. You've demoted what you actually need emotionally. You've demoted what actually is important to you. It's okay. I know that I really needed a hug or I know that I really needed to be spend some time with them, but they're going through a lot or it was really hard for them. You know, they had just gotten to the country. So, you know, they really didn't have time and space to focus on me or, you know, they had just gotten through a divorce or, you know, insert whatever thing was happening, uh, which may have been a real reason. But you make excuses to why. What you needed emotionally was just more of a burden and why it made sense that you weren't attended to. And what I need you to know is no matter what was going on in the house, no matter what was not going on in the house, you as a child, you deserved and you needed, you needed to have all of that emotional care and love for you to feel whole and complete and secure. What our parents give us is not just access to food, shelter, water, you know, clothing. They also help instill where our safety comes from. They are, they teach us how and where to be rooted and how and where to be planted. And if I grow up in a house where I am not emotionally safe to be myself, to cry, to be angry, to have a voice, to have an opinion, to be, to make mistakes, I live my life with my feet always in hot potato. Like I can never actually put my feet on the ground because I always have to stay ready. And so emotional neglect doesn't teach you how to build these emotional resources within yourself. It doesn't teach you that it's okay to have emotional needs and then also that someone's going to tend to them, that you have to learn how to deal with them yourself or just neglect them all together and just become what other people need you and want you to be in that moment And this sense of emotional repression is the perfect backdrop that leads into love addictive behavior. So love addiction is a type of intimacy disorder that is based in the persistent obsession of a person, a relationship, or the fantasy of a person or relationship who you want them to be and mistaking that intense connection or that intense obsessive connection to them for love because I feel this strongly, it must be love. Like this, it they must be my person. And yeah, we go through things and yeah, things aren't perfect, but I wouldn't feel this way if it really wasn't true love and connection. But actually it is trauma. And the reason why it is trauma is one, um, going back to what I was saying at the beginning, if the type of relationship that we're in is dangerous to us emotionally, mentally, Spiritually, financially, sexually, and we still are trying to stay there and make it work. And I said, dangerous, y'all. Not, not inconvenient, not, not uncomfortable sometimes. You know, relationships have their ups and downs, but if something is dangerous to us in those ways, and danger does not have to look like someone is knocking you upside the head, danger looks like you feeling. Low about yourself, uh, causing stress in your body, feeling depressed, feeling anxious, you being caught in the middle of love triangles and being tossed and used by other people. When you are a child of emotional neglect, your threshold for what danger looks like and what is unhealthy for you is so low. You know, we talk about the bar being in hell when you experience childhood emotional neglect, you really don't really have a baseline of what the actual bare minimum standard is. There really is no bare minimum standard, which is why sometimes you can tell people what's happening in your relationship if you're still telling people, because a lot of times love addicts will try to live in secret about what's going on because they feel shame. Because when you tell your friend or family member, they look at you and they're like, what's happening? And you feel like, oh, here you go. You know, you can't tell everybody everything. They're being judgmental and they don't understand, you know, there are circumstances here. They don't know her. They don't know him. And you make all these justifications in your head, but it's because you don't understand what is emotionally, mentally, spiritually, sexually, financially dangerous. But other people who are outside of that, who aren't caught in this traumatic cycle, they see it right? And they care for you and they love you. And as a love addict, again, as a person who is a victim of childhood emotional neglect, you've spent your whole life demoting yourself to promote other people. And so, you know, even if you do see that this is uncomfortable or bad for you, you will sacrifice yourself to be there for somebody else, even when it is tearing you down from the inside out, you know? And so these relationships are the perfect backdrop or the these love addictive relationships are the perfect band-aid for those who've gone through childhood emotional neglect because you've been repressing your emotional needs. They haven't gone anywhere. You have no matter how much you try to harden yourself and no matter how much you try to outprove and out, out earn or out succeed, whatever your underlying negative core beliefs are, they don't go anywhere. They're there until we work through them. They're they are there until we actually handle them. And just acknowledging that they're there. You know, I hear a lot of people before we start working together say things like, yeah, like I've been through some things, but I'm working on it. And I'm like, how are you working on it? Well, you know, I'm just trying to be mindful. You know, I'm just trying to like keep my boundaries. I'm like, girl, that doesn't mean anything. You trying to be mindful about what's going on without actually one, getting to the root of what's happening two looking at what are your thoughts around it? Three, figuring out what your patterns are around why you've been doing what you've been doing four replacing those patterns with different actions and behaviors. Five hitting the roadblocks of what happens when you try to replace it on your own or when you, even when you try to replace it with help and getting stuck and then asking for help to get unstuck. Six, dealing with the shame and embarrassment that happens when you realize that your smartness and your type A-ness and your perfectionism cannot outdo your trauma response and still so practicing self-love on the other side of it. Like there are so many layers to working through this, y'all. And we get so caught up and we and we get stuck and we feel shame around it because we are not realizing how deep this stuff goes. That this stuff takes active, deliberate work, help and support to unlearn it and to work through it. Okay? Um, it takes an active choosing of yourself. It, it takes an active choosing to ask for help. It takes an active stepping out and allowing other people to see you in this process. Love addiction is an intimacy disorder. You do not solve a fear of intimacy, a fear of being seen, a fear of being loved, a fear that if someone actually saw me and got to know me by yourself, that is just reinforcing those fears that it's only safe for me to do this on my own because other people don't want to see all my mess. Other people, it's just going to burden them. They're going to think this is too much. That is literally, that is literally your wound your wound that believes you're so much and too much and people don't have time for you. So you're going to work through this on your own because you feel like people don't have time for you and people aren't going to understand you. You know, like it's the snake eating its own tail. And so uh, the first step is getting out of this by asking for support and help and letting yourself not have to have all the answers. And that's for those of us where our trauma has We have to be perfect in order to be loved. I know that's not everybody. I know some people they get to the extreme that they go into is the. Hey, uh, we hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. Let's take a quick break to say thanks to this week's sponsors. As our country continues to grow and make new meaning of the intersection between current and historical events. It is so important to stay connected to the voices and the leaders who are influencing what progress, connection, equality, and truth mean to us as Black people. The next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection from some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, nuanced, and Black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths on NPR wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, we hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. Let's take a quick break to say thanks to this week's sponsors. The self-deprecation and the self-loathing and feeling like you just... You're never going to be good enough. And other people go towards the other extreme of like, I have to always be good enough. Ladies, I am so excited to share that for this podcast episode, I've partnered with eHarmony, the dating app that helps people find real, genuine connection. And for me, this app has absolutely held true to their promise, connecting me to a truly incredible relationship and partnership with someone who truly gets me. My experience with eHarmony has always been superb with not only the quality of men I was matched with, but also with our compatibility when dating, eliminating the stress of feeling as if I was wasting my time. So join the dating app that helps users find their most authentic relationships. eHarmony, get who gets you and start free today. Hey, we hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. Let's take a quick break to say thanks to this week's sponsors. So anyways, going back to how childhood emotional neglect really leads to love addictive behaviors is because you haven't had that emotional care and nurturance and concern and, and love just because growing up and is still a need, when you find a relationship with someone who is giving you that emotional care and love or these crumbs of it or a semblance of it, you're like, great, awesome. This is it because you've never really had the good stuff before. It makes me kind of think of how sometimes you'll see on social media, Instagram, TikTok, whatever, parents who are taking their 3, 4-year-olds on dates, you know, so maybe a father taking their little girl out on a date or, you know, treating them to a certain standard because they want their child to know growing up that this is just like baseline. Like this This should be what you're getting no matter what. So if anyone tries to come to you with some McDonald's or you know some chick-fil-A and acting as if they have hung the moon for you, that you can be like, "Yo, this are you serious?" Because your tastes have been refined in this way. And so if you emotionally have been starved, if you emotionally have been deprived, and someone starts to send you good morning texts every day, you're like, "Oh wow, this is something special." If you have been told that your feelings and emotions are too much and you have a date that's three or four hours and they listen to your life story, you're like, oh, wow, they really understand me. When really your friends and family members should be holding space for you like this all the time. Like this is not anything special that they're giving you, but you've never had it. So it is special for you. When you have someone who wants to spend lots of time around you or with you, When you have been ignored and overlooked or scapegoated your whole life, or maybe you grew up in a family where there were two people physically present in the home, but they were so caught up with work or caught up with their own mental illness or caught up with their addiction, and you have someone who's always available with time, you've never had that before, right? You never had that level of attention. So now this must be it. I have someone who Mm -hmm. I finally get and who gets me. No, girl, a lot of times you have someone who doesn't have anything going on in their own life, so, so they spend their time with you, you know, like it's hard for you to see with clear eyes what's going on. And one more, just cause I know that it's common. You know, if you grew up without having really any access to physical affection and support, so maybe there weren't a lot of hugs, maybe there wasn't or at least maybe not enough and definitely not any that didn't have with strings attached. When you get into a relationship with someone or Let me say it this way. That same family situation, but even as you've grown up as an adult, you don't really have hugs from friends. You don't really have any cuddle time. You don't have any semblance of continual, consistent physical affection. You've taught yourself that you really don't need it, that it's weird, that you're not really a physical touch person. And then you get into a relationship and let's say you are someone who's secretly a physical touch person, but you just never had access to it. When you get into a relationship with someone who gives that to you, the truth that you never allowed yourself to say out loud or that you didn't even know was true. Those needs are being met through this physical, sexual, intimate relationship with this person. And so you need it. You crave, you miss those moments of being cuddled up on the couch or in bed with someone, because that has been a source of affection for you. And maybe continuing on the only times that you actually have access to physical support and love is in intimate relationships and so that could fuel your your need to be a serial monogamer your need to consistently be out on dates your need to have all this because you just want to be held and you just want to be touched and you don't know how to you don't want to ask Your your healthy friends. You don't want to ask your community around you and be that vulnerable and say, "I just need a hug today," right? Because you're you're so used to doing it on your own. And don't get lost in the weeds here, because I know and I hear, I hear that there are some people saying, "Well, what if you don't have any friends, or what if you know all the what if situations." Take take the underlying message of what I'm saying, which is you have been in deprivation from an unmet need. And so you've been using the replacement or you've been using these unhealthy connections to other people who've been giving you pieces of that and you've been settling for it. And so that's why you've been staying there. So there's an assignment that we have in our in the recovery school that's called Who's Your Daddy, (laughs) which is one of my favorite assignments. And, you know, I did it at the retreat. I want to at the October retreat, each of the retreats. I curate the curriculum based on what the attendees want to learn about and talk about. And so at the October retreat, they wanted to talk about dating. So we did the who's your daddy exercise. And so this exercise basically helps you see, okay, who, what, what are the patterns that I've been recreating? Who, who have I been dating? What, what are the invisible things that I've been trying to look for and, why? Whatever what have I been hoping to get from this and how do I start this process? i starting to give it to myself, right? And it's only by by the awareness of this stuff that we can actually start to break the patterns. It's not about shaming ourselves and guilting ourselves. I really, I really, really hope that if you're in this process where you're just starting and you're you're coming to a place where like I'm tired of being sick and tired and you're feeling a lot of regret you have done the best you've known how with the information that you've had and you may that may go one ear and out the other i know sometimes it does for me or it has for me in the past but it's true you didn't know what you didn't know and you're still learning so how how can you fault yourself for not being prepared with what is the base minimum standard how can you fault yourself for you as a little girl just existing in your family unit, just existing and not being attended to and loved? That wasn't your job to try to teach other people how to love you and don't forget me and remember me and, and hug me and love me. That was, your, that was your birthright. You've always deserved that. And so you have not done anything wrong, my dear, and... I want you to start to practice some self-forgiveness in that area and knowing that as long as you start to show up for yourself and make these active changes, then you your story is not over. You can change where this narrative is going at any time. So I hope this helped. I hope this starts to put words to why and where emotional childhood neglect may have been affecting you and leading you to these these band-aid relationships. Some of you may have heard, learned about childhood emotional neglect for the first time today. There is a book, what is it called? It was called Running on Empty by Dr. Jonas Webb that talks about emotional neglect. So she doesn't really talk as much as about what to do with it. I mean, she gives some things about it, but I think she does the best job of breaking down what it looks like and really validating your experience so that you know that it's not just you. So that would be a great resource for you. As far as those of you who are like, okay, this totally makes sense. And I'm ready to break this pattern. All those steps that I talked about You know, realizing what it is, naming it, saying that you're ready for change, then also learning how to replace those behaviors, learning skills and tools to start to retrain how you talk to yourself when you talk to yourself, to learn how to give yourself that nurturance and care and concern, starting the process, then getting distracted, starting the process and then hitting walls learning how to reach out for help, learning how to practice self-compassion that you can't do this all on your own, learning how to really go deep in this self-acceptance work so that you can be that shining beacon where this is now your new base standard. And you bring that new level of self-acceptance, self-love, self-knowledge into all these relationships. Uh, You know, I was talking to someone actually yesterday, one of my, one of my current students. And she was telling me, she's like, I don't know why this keeps happening. She's, you know, just kind of getting started in this process and going through some of the family lessons. And she's like, I, I love myself. Like, I, I think I'm amazing. I think I'm beautiful. I think I'm successful. And while she's talking, I feel this sense of sadness. She's saying it to me with big eyes and a big smile and, you know, but I told her after she was done, I was like, okay, so how are you feeling right now? She started to tell me what she was thinking. I was like, no, how do you feel right now? And and so then she told me some positive feelings. And I was like, well, is there any part of you that feels any kind of insecurity and lack and fear? She's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I do. So we talked about that for a little bit. And I was like, so I want you to notice that when I asked you what you were thinking, what you were feeling, you told me how you thought. And also there are all these other negative things that you weren't really being in touch with or that you knew about, but you went directly towards the positive ones. And also I I noticed some other things that we had we were talking about in the conversation, but really I think I bring that up because I see often with people who are like, I have no idea why this keeps happening, I love myself. But there is, because you're in your body, And you've been doing this for so long. You've been repressing your emotions for so long. You've been repressing your truth for so long. You don't even know when you're gaslighting yourself. Like you, you don't even know when there are other levels of vulnerability that you can tap into. And you don't really know how to get there. And even even if you do know how to get there, you may feel some shame about it. And you feel the need to to correct it. You feel the need to, as soon as you say something negative, like, okay, well, yeah, I guess this does make me feel kind of bad, but I know that it has nothing to do with me. Or I know it's because of trauma. Like you're, you're so quick to try to clean it up because you have discomfort with being in your emotions and being in touch with that because you feel like that means something about you. And also you don't really know what to do with it other than fix it because someone has always told you that you are a problem that needs to be fixed. And y'all, when I tell you this stuff is so reflexive that you don't catch it until it's done and then you don't even see where the switch came on so then you're just left with the consequences of it and then you feel like a bad person. This is all the reason why we need a community. We need a tribe. We need helpers outside of us to see what we cannot see. Otherwise, we stay stuck in these cycles over and over and over and over again, to the place where we either just say, "Okay, that's it. I give up. I'm not even going to focus on this anymore. I'm just going to focus on myself, whatever that means." Because these problems are a part of yourself. They are absolutely affecting your mental and emotional and psychological. I guess that's all the same. But your mental and physical and emotional and spiritual sense of self is affecting your self esteem. Also, again. Repression doesn't push it away. So you work on yourself again, whatever that means forever long. And then you have to come back to this relationship work. And so you feel like you're starting the process all over again, or a lot of people just feel frozen in fear and feel stuck. And so I don't want y'all to feel that way. I don't want y'all to feel that way. So I would love to work with you in our recovery school. It is our coaching program where we teach you all these skills. We get to the roots. We break it down for you we help you work through what is the roadblock we teach you how to talk to yourself instead we teach you these are the things to look for in relationships this is what a healthy friendship looks like this is what a healthy relationship this is what it looks like to create a dating plan if you're someone who's single this is what it looks like to communicate with your partner this is what it looks like and we build it all together and it comes with our peer community support group that you can join and if you if you're listening to this live and you join now before the end of 2023 you can join in for the remainder of our live cohort and our weekly coaching calls through the holidays so you can join by going to the recoveryschool.com which will redirect you to the enrollment page and you can read more about the program, what it includes, what it entails, or you can go to our main website, blackgirlsfield.org and go there. You're able to get started immediately. And again, you have the opportunity to have a free bonus where you can join into our weekly group coaching calls through the end of 2023 through holiday season to get extra support and care and love from me during our calls. So would love to have you would love to welcome you in and you keep lifetime access to the course so that you can keep referring to the skills the support the community as needed next year. And I sent an email for those of you. Some of you are recovery school alumni, but you are no longer on our list. And so I've been meaning to make a social media post and I have not had an opportunity to. So if that's you. Listen up. Uh, recovery school alumni, we are going to Puerto Vallarta next November uh, for a reunion. So many of us have made some really great friendships and sisterhood. Some of us were, you know, popping in and scoping the scene, but getting a lot of benefit. And some of us were really, really there and holding it down. And then life took off. We got what we needed and we left and, and spread our wings. And I love that for us. And I would love, 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 to see everybody again, to be in one place. So you are invited to our recovery school reunion. Also anybody who enrolls, you are also invited to join us. We will be going to, I'm not going to tell you where we're going because it's for us only. (laughs) (laughs) But we will be going to a very nice, all-inclusive resort in November and I'm also not going to tell you what weekend because you can email me if you are not if somehow you you unsubscribed or you got unsubscribed and we can give you that information and we would love to have you we're going to be doing yoga classes we're going to be doing Pilates we're going to be on the beach doing nothing and just also talking about life love and connection so I can't wait to see some of y'all there and love on y'all hug you cut up twerk drink a little bit. I can't wait. So a year is going to go very quickly. But yes, email us if you either did not get the email. Sometimes it goes to promotions or if you're like, oh yeah, I'm not on the list anymore. What's, what's the deets? And we can get you connected to our travel coordinator to get set up. So, all right, that's it. I love you all so much. I look forward to welcoming in our new recovery school students and for everyone else. I look forward to seeing you next week and next week's episode. So that's it for now. As always, take care of yourselves. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Before we get started, let's take a small break to say thank you to this week's sponsors. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes